You're listening to The Green Country, a fantasy storytelling podcast where each episode introduces a new character, creature, or facet of this fantastical land. These stories follow the course of Queen Alyssa's centennial tour of her kingdom. Every 100 years, the long-lived monarch travels throughout her overgrown forest realm, meeting its inhabitants and seeing its sights. Join me each week as we explore a new and fascinating aspect of this lush, expansive world. You can learn more at www.thegreen.country, and I invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Thanks for listening. Ness and the Keep of the Krellian Part 2. Even as the adventurers hurried towards the dense stand of pines that stood on the ridge's edge, they could see something massive beginning to rise from the great crag below them. Ness tried to make sense of what she was seeing as she raced towards cover, but struggled to understand the leviathan which was beginning to reveal itself. The thing appeared to be composed of a series of linked stone wheels, carved deliberately and precisely. These segments connected end to end, forming an immense and serpentine line that spanned several hundred feet, at Ness's quick estimation. One end was capped by what Ness could only consider to be a head, though it scarcely resembled the head of any creature she had ever seen. It was a bell-shaped stone facing outward, and even at her far distance, Ness could perceive a vortex of dark, swirling energy within its cavity. This void of consuming blackness was far more foreboding to Ness than any maw of sharp teeth she could imagine. Ness, Darshal, and Narshal had reached the grove of pines, and now crouched down behind some large boulders which lay among the trees. They watched silently as the stone sentinel rose into the air, undulating gently, its concave face pivoting smoothly as it scanned the area. What kind of strange enchantment empowered the great stone sky serpent to defy gravity's rule could not be said, and it floated effortlessly above the canyon. Sensing their hiding spot was insufficient against the perceptive prowess of the guardian, Ness leaned in close and whispered to Darshal, "'Your mirror cloth, do you have it?' Darshal nodded, and then her eyebrows raised as understanding dawned within her. Into her pack she dove, and within moments had drawn forth a glittering length of fabric. Narshal, too, had understood the plan, and squeezed in close next to Ness and his sister." Darshal was midway through pulling the cloth over herself and her companions when the thing began to move. It was headed straight in their direction. Though the three companions had adventured together for many years, this was the closest they had ever been to one another, quite literally. Darshal's powerful arms wrapped around Ness and her brother, holding them in close, as they all tried desperately to squeeze beneath the too small area of the mirror cloth. In this intimate arrangement, it was clear none of them had enjoyed the cleansing effects of a bath in quite some time, though thoughts of personal hygiene were of little concern at present. "'Mind your foot, dear brother!' whispered Darshal urgently as the serpent rapidly approached their position. 
Narshal quickly pulled in his boot so it no longer protruded from beneath the veil that covered them. Through the gauzy curtain of the mirror cloth, they could see the stony marauder nearing them. It was truly gigantic, and at this near vantage, they could see its exquisitely carved form in great detail. Like the sculpted stone Narshal had discovered on the cliff, the stone segments of this animated construct were lined with gold tracery. In the hollow of each wheel that formed the serpentine body of the rocky beast, there glowed a strange spark of fire that distorted the air around it. It stopped suddenly and silently above the place which had marked the previous evening's campfire and hovered there. Its bell-like head swooped low as it seemed to be examining the remnants they had left. From the inky maelstrom contained within its maw, there emanated a low, dangerous hum. Ness and her companions were utterly silent, as still as statues in a moonlit garden. There was a bone-shaking clap of sound, a flash of darkness, and a piece of the cliffside was suddenly gone. The precipice where they had camped had blinked out of existence, scooped away to leave a clean line that cleaved trees and rocks alike. Ness, Darshal, and Narshal collectively held their breath. If the mirror cloth were doing its job, any passerby would be unlikely to detect their presence. The shimmering fabric gathered and reflected the shapes and colors of its surrounding with stunning accuracy. Turning its attention away from the cliffside it had just obliterated, the head of the sky snake rose and seemed to look towards the grove where the companions huddled. Slowly it resumed its movement, drifting noiselessly towards them. Ness could feel a cold sweat on her arms, and was uncertain if it belonged to her or Narshal or Darshal. A wave of suppressed terror washed over them as the behemoth passed overhead. The mirror cloth seemed to have worked, and they watched as the serpent wheeled round and moved away from them, following down the length of the long valley. Only when the stone creature was small on the horizon did Darshal draw back the covering from them. They stood awkwardly, limbs cramped and aching from their efforts to maintain stillness. Ness arched backwards, and her spine let out a loud and unexpected pop. They all cast a glance skyward, still fearful of the rocky specter, though it had disappeared on the horizon. "'It seems we've met the Krellian's guard dog,' mused Darshal. "'Aye,' replied Ness. "'We find cover and stick to it from here to the lake. Onward!' Ness's exuberance had not been diminished by the appearance of the stone guardian. No, if anything, it had only served to confirm they were near to that ancient and legendary sanctuary of the Krellian. The day was bright and sunny, and they set off, determined to reach the lake by nightfall. Navigating by compass, Ness and her company made slow but steady progress through the rough terrain. Any trace of trail or path had long since disappeared, and they found themselves at the whim of the lands they passed through. By early afternoon, the ridge they traveled had taken on a downward slope, no doubt leading towards the far lake Ness had spied in her earlier surveying. Though treacherous at times, the wilderness of the Great Weald was often startling in its beauty. Here, the trees and plants grew and lived of their own accord, 
and Ness and her facile friends felt as strangers amid the harmony that surrounded them. Their downward march took them through a forest of high, smooth-barked trees whose leaves were of bright jade and lemon yellow. Sunlight slipped through the high foliage above to cast shimmering spots of golden brightness on the forest floor. The landscape sang a song of unspoiled beauty, of a harmony eternal, and the travelers passed through the place in reverent silence. The rockiness of the higher ridge had diminished, and their transit became easier. They had followed the slope of the land down, until it promised to converge with the lake Ness had fixed her intent upon. Looking downwards through the trees, she spied a cerulean gleam, late afternoon sunlight glimmering off the surface of the water. They would be there by nightfall. Ness gestured to her friends, and though Narshal and Darshal shared not her certainty, they could not help but be moved by their companions' fierce excitement and determination. Onward they tromped, loam and moldering leaf underfoot, the high call of birds echoing out through the trees. The sun was just beginning to climb below the horizon as they set weary boots to the gravelly shores of the lake. It formed a near-perfect oval, a gleaming jewel in the denseness of the great weald. High above, on either side, rose smooth, wooded ridges, and the lake felt protected, held in the arms of those hills which hung above it, ever darkening with the fading of the day. The sun had nearly disappeared below the curtain of dark trees which surrounded them, and for a moment its rays danced off the dark waters in a brilliant fountain of fiery embers. Then all was dark, and twilight passed over the land. The adventurers diligently went about setting up their camp for the evening, they had selected a place amid a cluster of large boulders which lay near the shores of the lake. Though exhausted, their many years of practice orchestrated their movements now, and it took them no time at all to prepare their encampment for the evening. They spoke little, and it was clear to all there would be no fire this night. The frightening appearance of the sky serpent still lay fresh in their minds. Any extraneous sound, movement, or light could easily give away their position, especially near the silent stillness of the lake. They supped on a simple meal of fruit and dried meat and refilled their canteens at the lake's edge. The water was clear and cool, and they drank deep of its refreshing sweetness. Their beds soon called to them, and so they tucked in for the night. Darshal took care to have her mirror cloth ready, should the serpentine guardian return at the morning's first light. Ness drew from her bag a little object, similar in shape and size to a small apple. Its surface was smooth, save for a single large eye carved into it. She placed it against one of the boulders which formed a natural wall to their sleeping area, and it stuck there. Then she gave it a quick tap with her finger and the little eye briefly illuminated. She would rest easier with the assurance of that watchful eye, keeping its magical vigil through the night. And so the three fell into a wary sleep, uncertain of what the next day might bring. Their sleep was not the deep and untroubled rest that visits those in places of safety and certainty. No, it was light and fretful, 
the vigilant rest of the weary who dozed beneath danger's eye. Ness slept the lightest of them, and after several hours she awoke from some ill dream which faded so swiftly she could not recall it. In the fuzzy darkness she could make out the sleeping forms of Narshal and Darshal, and heard their shallow breaths. A gentle wind blew coolly from the lake, raising goose flesh on her arms, and she sat up in her bedroll, eyes climbing to trace the vault of stars that hung above. In the stillness of that lonely hour, doubt filled her, and she wondered if their hard trek to the lake would be for naught. She had certainly led other such adventures before, and knew well the sting of returning to the hook and lantern, tired and empty-handed. Many times she and her mates had sat, taking bitter, silent sips of the grotty, sour ale they could scarcely afford after a failed venture. She rose from her simple bed and crept silently in the direction of the lake. The night was full of stars, and they shone so brilliantly out here in the vastness of the great weald. Here, where no trace of civilization encroached, the sky was unabashed in its glory, and for a time, Ness forgot the worries of her quest as she gazed up into it. Crowned brightly amid the infinite points of light lay the sultry moon, waxing fat and crescent. It cast a radiant moon glow across the land, and Ness followed its silvery rays to where they touched down, to glitter on the water. These sights washed the care from Ness's heart, and stirred in her some wisdom that came forth from a part of her she knew not well. No treasure she might ever claim could match in meaning the steps and moments that drew her to it. And so her heart lightened, and she sat contented for a time in the silent moonlight. As she gazed out across the lake, some night-bound waterfowl took flight from its surface, and so her vision was drawn to it. The moonlight caught in the ripples left by the bird as they extended out across the stillness of the water's surface in expanding rings. But something else caught Ness's eye. Beneath the pale, wavering lines of moonlight, there glowed some other dusky illumination. She squinted hard, trying to make out what it could be. It seemed that below the surface of the water there lay some faint lamp shedding forth the amber glow of golden luminescence. And then the words of the rhyme suddenly came flooding back to her. And gold will glitter with the moon. Silently she made her way to the water's edge where she kneeled down, Bringing her face near to the surface, she shielded the light of the moon overhead with her hands, and then knew with certainty what she had seen was no trick of the eye. Deep in the silty fathoms of the lake, there glimmered a mesmerizing light. Surely, thought Ness, this must be the fabled keep of the Krellian. She was near tempted to dive into the lake there and then, but restrained herself, knowing this adventure would best be shared with her companions. She paced back to their little encampment among the boulders and laid down on her bedroll, thoughts and plans flashing through her mind. She closed her eyes and slowed her breathing. There would be plenty to do before dawn, 
For now, what she needed most was sleep. Soon Ness drifted off, a vision of resplendent gold shimmering in her mind's eye. She awoke long before first light to the lone call of a clarune. The bird's song echoed out across the lake, stark and haunting. Ness gently roused her companions and told them in a quick whispered hush what she had discovered. She had it in her mind to swim down to see what she could find. She was the ablest swimmer among them, and Narshal and Darshal felt and trusted her determination. They fell into action, with the twins walking back a ways from the shore into the darkness of the tall trees they had passed through during the previous day's march. Soon they emerged from the wood, carrying the trunk of a smallish tree between them, and dropped it there on the beach. It was long dead and well dried. Ness had gathered a length of rope from her pack and set to lashing it about the tree, as the siblings once more disappeared into the wood. The three worked quickly, and soon a narrow raft had begun to take shape on the sandy shore of the beach. Ness eyed the sky warily. It was still dark, though the pinpricks of starlight were no longer visible. Dawn would arrive soon enough, and with it, perhaps so too, would that alabaster serpent of the sky. She gave the ropes which bound the row of logs a final tug, ensuring things were as tight as could be, and then together they pushed the raft into the water. It sunk a bit, but then bobbed to the surface. Ness hopped aboard, and it seemed to have no trouble supporting her slight frame. Next, Narshal climbed aboard, and it sat a bit lower in the water. The two of them would be able to paddle out, though it was clear Darshal, the tallest and most well-muscled of them, would be staying behind. She nodded to Ness and Narshal, and spoke not, though it was clear she wished them well. With a great heave, she pushed the raft off from the shore, and the two began to paddle furiously with their hands. Soon Ness and Narshal fell into a rhythm of arm strokes, and despite the ramshackle nature of their watercraft, began to close the distance between themselves and the place Ness planned to dive. More birds had begun to sing now, and the blueness of the sky began to swell with the richness of pre-dawn light. Never had the coming of a new day before weighed on the adventurers as it did then. But Ness was relentless, and Narshal and Darshal believed in her with unwavering conviction. Presently, Ness and Darshal reached the spot near the center of the lake that Ness had marked from her earlier vantage. They were breathing hard and already well damp from their leaky craft. They sat for a moment, catching their breath, and then Ness turned to Narshal and said, It's time. He nodded and placed a hand on her shoulder. Then Ness pulled into her lungs all the air she could possibly inhale and slipped from the raft into the heavy, dark waters of the lake. Down and down she plunged, her lithe form moving swiftly through the murky depths. She had abandoned her walking boots back at the shore, and carried nothing with her save for the small, curved dagger at her hip. She forced her eyes open as wide as they could go, hoping to spy some remnant of the glittering beacon she had earlier spied. She descended further still, but alas, her eyes found no trace of the golden glimmer. 
The aching in her air-hungry lungs was escalating rapidly, and she broke from her course, climbing back up towards the surface. She emerged several yards from the craft, where Narshal waited, peering over its edge. "'Did you see anything?' he asked in an urgent whisper. "'Nothing,' panted Ness. "'I've got to go back down!' Ness eyed the brightening sky, and then met Narshal's eyes. They both knew they were cutting it close. Narshal gave her a wry smile and said, Go. What kind of fun would this be without a little danger? Ness grinned, took a huge breath, and then dived below the water's surface once more. She let her strength flow out into her arms and legs, and reserved no effort as she plunged down. This was it, no use in holding back. Downward she plummeted, her wide eyes searching for some trace of light in the sea of darkness that surrounded her. And then, her eyes discerned something in the fuzzy depths. A light. A light which was moving. She hung there in the water, trying to comprehend what it was she was seeing. Then suddenly, she understood and began to swim for the surface with a ferocity she had not known she possessed. As soon as she broke the surface of the water, she was shouting, Get out of here, Narshal! Swim for the shore! He looked at her, frozen, a mask of shock and confusion on his face. The sun was just beginning to peek over the horizon, filling the valley of the lake with its clear, bright rays. It's coming! yelled Ness at a volume that defied her minute stature. Her shrill warning shattered his momentary paralysis, and he dove from the raft, swimming hard for the shore. Her eyes tried to scan the depths below her for any trace of movement, but the lake's surface had already begun to reflect the brightening oranges and pinks of the sky like a polished mirror. She was so close, and was now about to be chased away from the greatest discovery of her life. She began to swim away from the raft, following after Narshal, but then stopped, immobilized. A wave of hot rage had boiled over within her, mingling with something that was either deep intuition or suicidal determination. Time slowed as she watched Narshal putting a good distance between himself and the raft. She turned to look towards the shore, and in the breaking dawn she could make out Darshal's tiny form, leaping and waving emphatically. Then Ness turned her attention to the water before her, which had begun to roil and churn. The world seemed frozen in time for a single moment, dawn spilling its light out across the land. Then their rickety raft exploded into a confetti of wood splinters and froth as the great stone snake of the sky burst from the lake with incredible velocity. The waters around Ness were whipped into a cyclone as the bulk of the megalithic serpent soared ever skyward. Whatever strange magic animated the thing had displaced the water around it, cleaving a hollow whirlpool into the lake. Narshal had managed to escape the pull of the waters which rushed down to fill this descending tunnel. Ness, however, found herself sluicing down the steep and watery passage as the stone snake exited from it. The last thing she saw before her head fell below the lake's surface was the tiny form of Darshal, 
setting fire to one of the tall trees near the water's edge. Ah, a distraction. Great idea, thought Ness calmly. An uncanny tranquility suffused her being as she hurtled deeper down that frothy vortex, which was beginning to collapse and close around her. The tail end of the sky serpent whipped overhead as it exited the tunnel, and Ness took a deep breath, wondering with gentle curiosity if it might be her last. Then, cold walls of water crashed in around her. What is luck? Ness never wondered this, though many who knew her often found themselves asking this question. Those who had known her long enough, however, were generally wise enough to abandon their hope of ever finding an answer. One thing was clear, though. Ness was lucky. Ness was improbably lucky, which is saying a lot, as luck tends to pay probability little mind. End of part two. If you like what you just heard, be sure to visit www.thegreen.country for more great content, including beautiful illustrations, detailed character descriptions, and much more. The Green Country is also on Patreon, where a small monthly pledge will give you access to extra content, like an illustrated PDF of the story you just heard. Whether you back this project financially or simply share it with a friend, you can help this vibrant land continue to grow. Once more, that's www.thegreen.country. Thanks for listening!